Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, or actually not just ladies and gentlemen, but whatever pronoun you prefer. There are so many variables. But anyway, I digress. Thank you so much for tuning in to For Real Though. And on today's show, we have a very special guest, our first non-Jappy guest. If you listen to the, the show regularly, Jappy is like a regular guest of mine. But now we have a new guest. You may have seen her in certain commercials for like Bon Sean and Air Asia. I won't mention all because she asked me not to dwell on it too much. But she's mainly a graphic designer. So without further ado, please welcome Selena Wu Bang. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for the welcome. So around two months ago, I mean, it doesn't feel like two months ago, but uh, you know how time's kind of relative now that we're in quarantine. Like one week is like one day now in our minds. We were talking about Nolan movies because I think the Tenet trailer dropped and we were like geeking out about it. So I thought, hey, why not just make a whole podcast episode about Nolan movies? Because Selena here is a hardcore cinephile. I mean, I'm not sure if everyone knows that. Do all your friends know that? No, no. Only the close one. Yeah, I don't like, really talk about it. You actually, I, th- I think you may watch a lot more movies than I do. You're not just verbal about it. So anyways, yeah. Nolan is like, uh, I think it's a universal fact that he's like God-tier director levels. And I just rewatched this right before our podcast. And the first movie we should talk about, I think, is Memento. I do remember I was around high school when I watched it. And I was very into the, you know, it's pretty groundbreaking, right? The reversal thing. Yeah. Like, it's something new. Like, you wouldn't expect it from a movie in the first place. And then in high school, we had like a, a video contest. And then my best friend, he's a director now, Javi, <laughs> we patterned like a, a short film after it with just the reversal stuff. Yeah. I was that into Memento. Like, that's how much. I remember it. Actually, I just remember the transitions most of the time. It goes from like uh, black and white to normal. Yeah, right? yeah. That's what I remember. And I think, because I'm not super familiar with Nolan's smaller films. Like, he has a movie with Al Pacino I haven't seen. But this one, I think it's his uh, film that made him known to more audiences. It, it showed the world that Nolan movies are something you think about. You don't just watch it, but... It gives you like a headache if you watch it. Oh, okay. I'm just like, he's really complicated with all yeah. the storylines. Like nothing's just straight or from plot A to plot B. There's like a like a mountain of twists and stuff. Like he makes <laughs> it like unnecessarily complicated, but that's that's the craft, I guess. Yeah, that's, the, that's his thing. Yeah. Because like you could totally watch Memento. And if it was edited in a different way, the story would be so much easier to understand. But I think the editing is what made it, like, unique. The first time you watched it, did you, like, get it right away? Or did you have to rewatch it? of course not. I wish I was that smart. It's like Inception. I I, I didn't get it the first time. Uh, I think I went to Reddit, went into a rabbit hole like everyone else. A fun fact was that his portrayal of amnesia was clinically right at some yeah. parts. Like, you actually re- remember, like, like some bits of it. And then when he writes it down on skin, that was, like, pretty accurate and stuff. That's the nice thing about Nolan movies is they're not just style. 
it's always substance, mm. I think. He doesn't go like, okay, yeah. like, no offense. I love these directors, okay? <laughs> but like, I gotta call them out. Like, sometimes Tim Burton or like, um, Wes Anderson. Uh, I, I know you're a fan of both of them. But like, sometimes their movies are really prioritized style over the substance of the story. Unlike Nolan, it's like, it's not overly style over substance. It's always substance, I think. I think yeah. Memento, <laughs> Memento is where you see like, okay, Nolan likes to screw with people's brains. He likes to make mm. people get nosebleeds when they watch his movies. Because, yeah. dude, even me, like, I just rewatched Memento after so long. Like, I watched it right before this podcast. Uh, and then I had to watch an ending explained video after. I was like, Holy what crap. did that mean? Because, like, uh, without oh spoiling God. it, um, to those who haven't watched Memento, because I don't want to spoil the ending if people haven't watched That's it. Because it's not one of his more popular films. But I want people to know that going into this movie, you have to be prepared to really pay attention completely because it's all about the details. And the story is non-linear because the main character has some sort of short-term memory loss problem. Like Dory, basically, in Finding Nemo. But this is like a serious version of that. So he has to write reminders for himself on notes, on tattoos, because he can't trust anyone else except himself. So, dude, imagine how simple Memento would be if he had a smartphone. <laughs> like, if it was shot I now. I know! Right? He That's could just video so himself true. and send himself messages, memos. But yeah, they were post-it. post-its. I remember right? that. They, they were like right? Polaroids. Okay. Polaroids, post Oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. tattoos. Tattoos were like for the very uh, important details that he couldn't, he shouldn't forget. But the temporary oh, ones gosh. go on Polaroids and... Yeah. Uh, post-its. Dude, his life would be so much easier if he had a smartphone. I know, you can just text it to yourself now with yeah. a messenger. Exactly. To save drafts exactly. and stuff. Memento was where people knew that Nolan had like a weird way of thinking, like very unique way of thinking. But I think he further drove that point home with The Prestige. Were you able to watch The Prestige again yeah. recently? No. <laughs> no, 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 but but I, I know you're very familiar remember with it. it well. What I really loved about it was aside from the cast, because I'm biased with Christian Bale. Christian Bale. For a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really loved the the twist towards the end. Yeah. And there's another twist that happens, so you're just really left with so many twists. One of the characters, Hugh Jackman, actually. Yeah, Hugh Jackman. He. It's also like a punch to real life that sometimes you have to present things well in order to keep in order for people to like your work and stuff. Because yes. like you know, there's like a deeper message also at the same time that hard work doesn't really get you as far as you thought it would. Because yeah. you need to also pay attention to like how you present it and you know style, I guess. And it's a very I don't know. I, even if it's a period film in a way, I feel like it relates to other people in terms of like you don't always win first place, no matter how hard you. Oh, Even if so you sad. if you work hard, because like Christian Bale's character yeah. worked so hard, he worked so hard at, at the magic thing. Like he committed his whole life to magic, but Hugh, Hugh Jackman was quote unquote. They called him in this movie a showman, and eventually he yeah, became the greatest yeah. showman. <laughs> So he was so the greatest funny. showman here in The Prestige. And, okay, um, 
just so you guys know, I, I posted like a status message on Facebook asking people like what their favorite Nolan movies and why. And my friend uh, Jeppo brought up that the, for The Prestige, he liked the nonlinear progression, the deception of the viewer, and how there's the unestablishing of the pledge, the turn, and the prestige. And he said that mm-hmm. this is kind of like Nolan's career. It's a reflection of Nolan's career. Like oh, wow. in, with, with movies. Because he his style of movies is like there's a pledge at the start, and then there's like turn and then the prestige. Oh. And then his movies are all like yeah. that. There's always a twist. Oh, I think another thing about the prestige is that's where you really knew that Nolan loves storytelling non-linearly. Like it was already mm-hmm. evident in Memento, but in The Prestige, he starts with the ending again and then keeps going back and forth and back and forth. Why does he do that? I mean, I think he's obsessed with like just uh, giving people red herrings. The twist with Christian Bale was for me, for me, okay, it was really obvious. But the twist with Hugh Jackman in the end, that was the twist that I couldn't foresee. Like it was like, what? I think uh, Inception is also one of his like nosebleed-worthy films. And that was really popular. Yeah, Inception was super popular. Like everyone, everyone was watching it. People would line up in the cinemas just to watch it. I like anime, though. Well, not the really hardcore ones, but like okay. the movies. What anime I really movies. appreciated, I saw a video recently, and then it was comparing how Nolan got some inspo from Satoshi Kon. I'm not sure if I said oh, it right. Okay. I'm sorry. Is it Kon or like, Tan? Satoshi Kon. The whole transition thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, from Paprika, you yeah, mean? Paprika. That's what so good. Yes. Gosh, I love that. Okay, guys, so if, you ha- if you haven't seen Satoshi Kan's Paprika, it's kind of like Inception. So that kind of influenced Nolan? That's really the influence. Yeah. Okay. That I see movie it. influenced them. I see the similarities. And then a popular thing uh, that people were saying in the comment section of my post for the Nolan movies is they really like Inception yeah. because it's heartfelt, right? It's not just sci-fi. Yes. There's like a human element too. And I think that's what Nolan's good at. Like he does a sci-fi thing. He's so good. Right? But he brings yeah. like some uh, human element to it. Like there's heart to the sci-fi story. In Inception, it's, a, it's centered around family again. I think yeah. a lot of his stuff has a family theme. I think Inception is where you start noticing a pattern that there's always loss in Christopher Nolan's movies. Like, why does, the, why does something bad always happen to the wife? In Memento, like, his wife, something horrible happened to his wife. In The Prestige, something horrible happened to both their wives. And yep. in Inception, something horrible happened to his wife too. What is with Christopher Nolan yep. and killing wives? Yeah, I think he has some issues. Not really killing wives, but like just harming wives in general. Yeah, they're always like, on the bad end. I don't know why. Is it's he mad thing. at his wife? Is he mad at his wife? And he's just like... And he's like frustrated. Projecting. <laughs> <laughs> he's projecting in his movies. So, okay, since we're talking about like uh, Inception, uh, another comment from Madel Juliana said, she thinks Inception was the first film she ever watched with that level of visual effects. And the exploring mm. of dreams was risky, but a unique choice. I think mm. that's Inception's edge over anything Nolan's done so far up to that point. It's like, 
it's so CG heavy because he usually hates using CGI. Like I remember reading in an article in The Dark Knight, he used as little CGI as possible because mm-hmm. he like he, the yeah. hospital. He he actually blew up a hospital. He didn't want to do it. Like well, there were no people in the hospital, but they built a hospital just to blow it up. And for in, so uh, crazy. Inception, I think he just like went all the way with the CGI. Like he said, okay, if I'm gonna use CGI, it's gonna be crazy. And I think that's one of the strengths of Inception. And might as well. And speaking of... Yeah, I love people like that. What do you mean? Like people like... Go all in or nothing. Like you can't just submit something that's medi- like mediocre. Yeah? It has to go to your standards and everything like that. Yeah, I think... That's like another, his dedication. Yeah. That's another unique trait of Nolan. He always goes 100 or nothing. Yep. I think, well, it's not such a known fact, but I remember seeing in some, like, did you know video, Nolan hates having deleted scenes. He hates having mm-hmm. scenes that he won't really intend to sh- uh, include in the movie. Unlike, let's say, Marvel movies. They have so many deleted scenes. But Nolan, he goes into shooting movies knowing that I'm going to use everything. That's true. And we were talking about, like, well, you brought up that a pattern also is family as a theme. Like in Inception, mm-hmm. it's a theme. Um, in The Prestige, in Memento, it's kind of a theme. And I think, but his most family-related theme would have to be from Interstellar. Oh, God. No. Right? <laughs> I, I, I cried in a lot. I think everyone cried. There were so many parts, you couldn't help but cry. I have a fun fact. Timothy Chalamet was the kid. I don't think it was a fun fact. I think, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Because like, he, 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 he wasn't famous it. yet. Yeah. Exactly. I think visually, dude, Interstellar is like one of his most beautiful films. Yeah. Like, Super agree. It makes you feel how vast space is. I don't think I'd ever want to go inside Christopher Nolan's brain. Like, it would be so complicated. I wouldn't know how to navigate my, my way through it. That's so true. Do you know the series Lock and Key? Lock and Key? No. I, yeah, what, what about it? What about Lock and Key? There's like, like there was this key where you turn it and then it can like open your mind and stuff. Like that'd be interesting. Like literally, literally go in someone's mind? Yeah. So cool. Oh shit. That would be a good Nolan movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another thing that people keep bringing up about uh, Interstellar is the score. Like, oh God. Zay Panganiban commented that uh, the score, she can't stop listening to the OST even weeks after watching the movie. And everyone, everyone just says, just, like, oh, the score is so emotional. Like, that's a common comment that I'm seeing throughout all the comments. Hans Zimmer, in general, he has a gift with yeah. making you feel emotions you didn't expect from music yeah and i think with interstellar especially the part where they landed on the planet then he was counting down the hours he's gonna miss with his his daughter and earth i think that's one that's a score that really made me cry because you're feeling the emotions the tensions the stress from you know the protagonist and you can't help you know you feel hopeless really sad you Mm -hmm. know even really you know, you just feel you feel for the character. I think that's the magic of the scoring with Interstellar. Like even like the, I have it here because I have a playlist of movie scores. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I remember you bringing that up. Yeah, it yeah. goes. It goes so different. There's like Twilight on it, but it also goes Wait, interstellar. Don't, don't drop me on this. Okay. okay, I won't bring up the rest of it. Okay, but Twilight was like kind of the worst one I could bring up. No offense. I don't care. I love Twilight. Cornfield Chase. I really love that. And then day one. Like I'm listening to it now. So beautiful. Day day one in Cornfield Chase. I think Yeah, those were my favorite. My favorite though from Interstellar. It's not on the track listing for some reason. But it's uh it was the song in the trailer. But I think it's view from the wait, I have to Google it. View from the I'll Google uh, it. Interstellar. View from the Voyager. Yeah, that's the... Oh, here. I can... I see it. Dude, it's, it's like my favorite. It makes me feel like I'm in outer space or like something tremendous is going on. So if, if you guys have access to the OSD of Interstellar, that's my reco. If Selena's reco was um, Cornfield Chase and Day One, uh, mine is yeah. View from the yeah. Voyager. So good. You mentioned Hans Zimmer. Right, being a genius. Yeah. I think he is. He is the Nolan of scoring, which is why they always team up. They're, Hans Zimmer and Nolan are always like together. They're like a ship, kind of. They're an unofficial ship. You know how Hans Zimmer is known for his really dark, you know, kind of edgy scoring? He actually yeah. helped out with The Little Prince. Oh, like, which one? Did you expect that? The animated the Little, Little Prince. Prince? The animated one? The, the, the really recent one. Is that the stop-motion Little Prince? Yeah. He helped oh, out. Oh, shit. I'm not surprised, yes. though. Because, yeah. he, he, dude, one of his earlier works was Lion King. Like, the score for Lion <laughs> King. And I'm not talking about the songs. You really okay? wouldn't expect. Yeah, the, the songs are Elton John. But the score, like when Simba's yeah. running through the, the desert, so emotional. And I remember him saying that uh, when he writes something, he makes it super personal. It's like when he wrote the Lion King score, he was thinking about his relationship with his father, and that made him inspired to the to do the music with Mufasa and everything like that. It is random, but Alexander okay. Des Desplat, Alexander Desplat. Who's who's that? Who's Alexander? He's Wes Anderson's. <laughs> he's Wes Anderson's go-to scorer. Oh, so trash. he's he's Wes Anderson's uh, Hans Zimmer. Dude, like, Wes yeah, Anderson's exactly. music's always quirky. There's, like, violin plucking all the time. And then Fantastic Mr. Fox is his best score. Yeah. I'm just gonna put it out there. That's a completely yeah. different episode altogether, Wes Anderson. But I think... I know. His style is very unique. Like, if you guys aren't familiar with Wes Anderson's style, it's one of the most unique in Hollywood. And it's always used for pegs for commercials. I swear. That's so true. Like, the Gucci right? one. Right? Yeah. I mean, Cell yeah. is also in the advertising industry. She works in the advertising industry. And I'm sure, like, you're so familiar with how uh, directors always want to copy Wes Anderson's style for quirky commercials. That's so true. Oh, yeah. going back. Going back. Go, go on. Back to Nolan. <laughs> yeah. I think, okay, right after Interstellar, his next, um, is it obvious, like, I'm saving The Dark Knight for last? Like, let's not talk about yeah, The Dark Knight first. Let's save that for last. Okay, so before uh, Interstellar, I mean, after Interstellar, I think his other notable film was Dunkirk. I mean, all his films are notable, mm-hmm. but like, Dunkirk was the next, like, whoa, this is an experience. It's not just a film. 
you have to watch it in IMAX. And that's what one of the comments said. Oh, I said. didn't watch it. You didn't watch it in IMAX? What? Yeah, oh I just God. feel like for movies, you really have to respect it and see it in the big screen because yeah. that's what I intended it to be, you know, seen in the big screen. And I feel guilty. I'm sorry. I'm a bad... Dude, I, I wish they re-showed it. No, it's okay. Like, oh, yeah. It's a very short run. Right? Or like they, re- they should re-show movies on IMAX. Even if it's years later, they should do that. Um, I, I have one comment from Adi Bontuyan, who's a director. Hey, Adi, if you're listening, you're amazing. I see um, it. Yeah. You see it? Yeah. He said, um, Dunkirk has the least amount of dialogue amongst Nolan's movies. It's pure audiovisual storytelling. And it's an instant classic war movie. I agree. Like, um, okay, I, ha- I have like a confession to make. I was kind of like really sleepy when I watched Dunkirk. And I think I, I watched... Me too. I'm yeah. so sorry. Because, <laughs> dude, we were grinding. We, I was working the whole day. The only showing I could catch. I don't really the, remember. Okay, I was really sleepy when I watched it. But it was still a good movie. And I think I need to rewatch it. Because I, I was forced to watch the last post showing. I think that's, that goes for all of Nolan's movies. You have to watch it on IMAX. Or on a big screen at least. All of his movies. Especially because Hans Zimmer is the scorer. Dunkirk again with the non-linear storytelling. Well, in a way, it's linear. But um, it's not really a spoiler again. But like, there are three timelines happening at the same time. I think there's one that's in seconds, there's one that it's, that's in minutes, and there's one that's in days or hours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact measurements, but throughout the movie, there are three simultaneous storylines spread out through it. And I think that was a great thing. Like He's again exploring with time. That's another thing Nolan's obsessed with. Okay, aside from killing wives, <laughs> it's time. He loves like messing with timelines. He loves storytelling that you know, isn't that, conventional. He's that guy who just cuts things up, you know, and then he just merges it and somehow it works. It's like yeah. Bob Ross. You think it's going to be ugly in the first time? It's like, oh, what is that? And then towards the, the end or the middle, you're just like, wow, it's so beautiful. I, I agree with yeah. that Bob Ross thing. Like, at first you're like, what is he painting? And then towards the end, oh, shit. Now I get it. And dude, look, look at my shirt. Bob yeah. Ross. Represent. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I didn't notice. Okay. Props. Props. I love that. Nolan, I mean, it's kind of an understatement. Okay, Bob Ross is amazing. But it's kind of funny if you say Nolan's the Bob Ross of the directors. Okay, so after Dunkirk, I think that's it. Like, Dunkirk was his latest thing. And now he's working on Mm -hmm. Tenet, which is like, which was started our whole Nolan conversation two months ago. And... Rocco, FYI, yes. the other actor there is Robert Pattinson, who was Twilight. in Twilight. Hey, he's going to be Batman too. So, uh, I know, I know. He's going to redeem himself. Well, he hated his role in Twilight. So, he, it's okay. He hated being Edward Cullen. <laughs> yeah, he did. He hated it. Well, it's okay. He's redeeming himself. He's going to be Batman with Matt Reeves. And he's going to come out in Tenet. So that's amazing. And if you guys haven't seen the trailer for Tenet, I suggest you watch it. Because with the trailer alone, you're going to get a good grasp of the film already without it spoiling anything. But I think it's his most... um, You know how he's obsessed with time travel? and Well, not necessarily time travel, but going back and forth on on timelines in the movie. 
And Tenet is where it's most apparent, I think. Because he said it's not time travel, it's reversal. So he's going back to his memento days. It's it's so interesting. It's like, you know, those challenges from 10 years ago or something like that. It's like that glow up. You know how artists post their kitty drawings and then now? Oh, yeah. That's what he's trying to do. It's his 10-year challenge. Like, yeah, it's his it's challenge. Memento was my work. Like, Okay, maybe uh, Memento was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, here's yeah. Memento. And then now that I have more budget, um, Tenet is Memento on steroids, <laughs> basically. And I have like a, a cult following. So Yeah. Well, not just a cult following. I think Nolan is like... At first, he had a cult following with Prestige and like Memento. But when he started doing the blockbuster films, I think... Globally, people yeah, are just hyped, okay. right? Yep. They're like hyped for Nolan films. Like no matter what he puts out now, they're like, oh shit, oh shit, Nolan, you gotta watch it. And it's Dunkirk didn't get that much buzz. Yeah, it didn't as get as much buzz. Like I think it's because it was more of like a cinephiles movie. It's not an everyday kind yeah. of movie. Because because war films in general, it's a selected niche, I yeah. guess. Because I guess like... Well, uh, I enjoyed 1970. Oh, 1970 is so boring. good. Yeah, but people found it boring, right? So, <laughs> it's like a selected... It's very niche, yeah. Yeah. But I think Dunkirk is very similar to 1917. That's true. It's so similar. But not in a bad way. It's just like you can see how different directors treat the same subject differently. Yeah, they have a style. I think the hype for Tenet is so big and I'm so like... I mean, sure, there's so many bad things happening in the world right now. But I guess yeah. one of the things I'm kind of bummed out about, and it doesn't compare to the bigger problems of the world right now, but one of the small things I'm bummed out about is we might not see Tenet so soon or in movie theaters. I know. The trailer said July 17, which, fun fact, is also mm-hmm. when The Dark Knight came out. And I think his movies always come out in July for some reason. Yep. Um, like George Lucas and December. Yeah, George Lucas. Yeah, George Lucas films always come out in December. I think Star Wars are family films, so he wants to make it come out in Christmas, kind of like. Oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And which sucks for us, cause no hate. Uh, I totally respect the Metro Manila Film Festival, but because of them, <laughs> Star Wars is limited. Like you have to watch it right away. If not, it's all the theaters are gonna show Filipino movies December twenty-five onwards. So, okay, now that we've, like, talked about everything and we're, we've established that we're hyped for Tenet, I think it's time for us to freaking geek out about The Dark Knight. <laughs> or The Dark Knight the Dark Knight Trilogy. Okay, so we gotta start with Batman Begins, because, like... Batman uh, Begins. Batman Begins was um, where we saw, oh, shit, superhero movies can be super serious and not kiddie. I mean, sure, we saw it in Blade and, like, a few other movies, but this was, was like the first like genre changing movie for superhero films, I believe. Yeah, because they all had the same thing before. Do you remember Elektra? Yeah. I, I loved Hancock though. Hancock. Hancock, yeah. It. So it was good. Like, I thought it was like, really good. It was like two movies in one. Like at first it's comedy and then it becomes serious. Yeah. Like Parasite. Yeah, so serious. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So you're saying about oh. Um, you're talking about the old movies, right? Like uh, Electra, uh, Daredevil. Yeah, and the one with Charlize, I forgot what it's Eon Flux. Do you oh, remember e- that? Was, was that based on a comic book? 
I'm not sure about that after research. But like I, I remember those days of like superhero films. They're very it was very costumey. Oh like, yeah, it was it's very comic booky. It's like straight from the comic book. Yeah. It's not like adapted it's, for film. Gonna, I think I'm gonna use this um camp. It was quite it's campy. campy. In a way. Yeah, yeah, it's campy. Yeah, and I think when Nolan released Batman Begins, I was a super mega fan. I bought the graphic novel as well. Oh, Batman Begins had a graphic novel. Yeah, they did. Damn, I, I need to get my hands on that. Is there more to the movie yeah. there? Did they did they add more in the graphic novel? No, no, no. They just illustrated it. Oh, they just I adapted didn't mind. it. I love this. So yeah. Cool, dude. It's still, like so great to have that. And I think it's with, like you're watching it. It's like you're watching it, but like uh, you have to dub it in your own head. I remember when I was a kid. I'm sorry, I always fall asleep in Nolan movies, but it came out in 2005, right? I, I was in the fifth grade and I was watching the last full showing with my parents and I fell asleep in the climax. But um, the part where I woke up again was the ending where uh, they showed the Joker card. Remember that? The ending of Batman Begins. It's not yep. a huge... It's not a spoiler because we all know what happens in the Dark Knight. Yeah, um, everyone knows. Everyone like, knows. He's Ledger. Yeah. Everyone's seen the Batman trilogy. It's it's fine to talk uh, spoilers here because there there are no huge twists at least, except with the yeah. Dark Knight Rises, I think. But like the Batman trilogy doesn't really have huge twists. Um, sure, there are like subtle twists, like oh that guy is actually not who he claims to be, but there aren't yeah. like. There's no prestige level twists or memento level twists. I think Christopher Nolan kind of toned down the nosebleed factor of The Dark Knight as compared to his other films. He said, okay, masses have to get this movie. But he didn't make yep. it stupid. It's still so intellectual. Yep. Right? Um, okay, so Batman Begins was like the establishing uh, Batman film for his trilogy. But I think uh, he really went, went all the way with The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight was like his, uh, what's that word uh, they use for um, oh, cla- classical um, musicians? Magnum, Magnum Opus. Because there's a coffee shop in BF. It's called Magnum Opus. Okay. Fun fact. Okay, Batman Begins was great, actually. But The Dark it's Knight was... Good. It's freaking great. It's freaking like God-tier comic book movie. God-tier already. Yeah, God-tier movie as is. But like... Yeah. The Dark Knight was like his magnum opus film. I think if you think Christopher yep. Nolan, everyone knows him for The Dark Knight. Yeah, I agree. And what I appreciate about the most about The Dark Knight is it's more of a movie, more than a comic book movie. It's a film um, tackling morals, I think, moral philosophy. Because usually Nolan's like fascinated with, okay, let's tackle time as a theme. But in The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. it's like, we're going to talk about moral philosophy this time. Because I also love how he can show that it's not bad guy, good guy. That's it. Yeah. It's like there's so much dirt in every single person there that there's no like fine distinction that this guy's a bad person, this guy's a good person and stuff. Because, you know, the good guy you thought, he was pretty corrupt, right? So like he really played with that idea. And I really love that actually. Mm -hmm. Wait, so who's the... Who was the corrupt guy in the Dark Knight? Who are you referring to? I feel like in general, because you know Gotham, it's pretty dirty. Yeah. It's yeah. like it's Manila like the in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, he picked that after you. <laughs> but like, 
um, in general, you see the bad guys. And then you see the politicians, they're really dirty as well. Yeah. Like, if you read more of the comics, you'll also see, like, you know, all the politicians there are just nasty as well. And that's what makes Jim Gordon, like, Gary Oldman's character, such mm-hmm. a standout amongst the cops because he's one of the only good cops in the entire city. And that's why Batman talks to him and him alone. Yep. I think that's also one of the good, like, uh, themes in the movie where not everyone is incorruptible because yeah. the Joker is trying to prove everyone can be corrupted. And Batman's saying, no, yep. like, there are good people in the world. Man is inherently good versus man is inherently evil. And the Joker is trying to prove mm-hmm. man is inherently evil. But Batman's like, no, people are good. And I think the main part that showed that was the boat scene in the end where there is literally a boat full of criminals and a boat full of innocent people. And Joker's trying to prove I know, I know. they're just the same. Innocent people are just as yeah. bad as criminals. Yeah. But, but like, okay, I, without... I remember... Go ahead. Sorry, I got excited. Oh, no, no, go, 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 go. Remember the part where, like, the rich people were saying, just let them die. Like, they're just criminals. Just let them die. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. You see, the, you see what he's trying to show already, like, you know, good people who you think are good, they're rich, basically. You know, they can be selfish people. Yeah. Such great writing. Oh, that's so relevant so now. Fun. That's so relevant now. Right? Like, exactly. On the boats, the two boats, like, the criminals weren't even, like, talking about killing the other people on the other side. But the everyday regular exactly. people were, like, they had their chance. They chose to steal yep. and murder so we have to kill them. But no one had the guts to actually kill them. I think that's what the Joker is trying to say. That uh, if you push anyone hard enough, they're going to turn evil. But Batman's like, no, people will stay good even when they're pressured. But even if Batman won that battle with the whole ships thing, the boats, the ferries, <laughs> he lost the battle with Two-Face. Joker won with Two-Face. Yeah, that's right? true. Because Joker took everything away from Harvey Dent and he turned evil, right? He turned yep. into the thing he was trying to protect Gotham from. Prevent, yep. And I, think, and I that, think that depends on your strength also as a person. Yeah. Like, your moral compass in general. But yeah. I was researching just a few minutes ago what the term I forgot was ontological dignity. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but Sorry, I remember what do you say? this clearly. Ontological, ontological dignity. Ontological it's, dignity. Okay. Yeah, it's basically saying that people are inherently good. There's still mm-hmm. some good in a person. I learned this back in high school, pa. See, I'm an attentive listener. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it really stuck with me because I really loved that topic so much. And I think it relates to how Bruce Wayne sees people in general. So good. So he thinks man has ontological dignity. Did I say it that correctly? It was never stated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was never stated. But that's how I perceive it, I guess. Mm. That's how I studied it. Um, you just see that the fact that he doesn't even use guns. You shouldn't kill people. Yeah. Even the Joker. Yeah, yeah. Like Batman won't even kill the Joker who's like... I know. The heart of darkness. <laughs> basically. Um, yeah. But the Joker wants Batman to kill him. Like, mm-hmm. right whenever Batman 
appears like he's gonna kill the Joker. The Joker's so happy because he's like, finally, I can prove that I can break you also. But Batman yeah. never pushes through with it. And I think that's the, yeah. even in the comics, because I know you're a comic book geek also, you know how the Joker loves when Batman uh, beats him up. And it's not really, yeah. it's not really masochistic. It's more of like, he's proving a point that Batman is not good, which, which he wants to be. Batman wants to be good, but Joker's trying to prove you're not a good person. Remember that scene in The Dark Knight? Which and scene? Then Joker was like, hit me, hit me. Oh, hit me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, there. That's so intense. Or oh, the one where the bat pod was like racing towards him with the snipers. Yeah. And like, Joker's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. just hit me. And then Batman was about to hit him already. But, but Batman yeah. was like, no, I can't. And then he just and like... He, he dodged it. Yeah. He dodged it. But he ended up crashing. Okay, everyone's seen The Dark Knight. I can talk about spoilers. It's fine. You know, like, you know, yeah. Everyone's seen it. Like, yeah. when the Joker fell down the building in the end, Batman still mm-hmm. caught him. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he hates the Joker. But yeah. he still made the effort to save him in the end. Which the Joker hated. But he also had this whole monologue in the end about how they're exact opposites. Like, Batman cannot yep. be corrupted. Okay, to quote the Joker, the Joker said, um, this is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. And Batman is that immovable object. And Joker's like an unstoppable force. And what happens when those two meet? There's always an explosion. Like, Physics, yo! Yeah. <laughs> okay, so since The Dark Knight was um, Nolan's magnum opus, like we googled, <laughs> um, I think The Dark Knight Rises was still a great concluding thing to the mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't love it. Like not as much as The Dark Knight. Even <laughs> critically speaking, the Dark Knight got like eight Oscar nominations, I think. It would have yep. even got a Best Picture nomination if they added more slots. Because I think after this year, they made the Oscars have nine slots instead of five. Yes. And I think that's because of The Dark Knight. Like They're like, oh man, we could have nominated The Dark Knight, but there weren't enough slots. Um, and I think Nolan tried to go past The Dark Knight with The Dark Knight Rises, but it wasn't better. But I don't blame him for that. It was still so good. It was still like mind-blowing. And I think this is where Nolan brought his twists again with the whole yeah. uh, Bane wasn't the child. It was actually this yeah, woman. Yeah. It was actually this, Talia. This girl. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he made the child bald so you'd like believe it was Bane. But no, it was actually Talia as a child. And then, okay, Nolan's back at it with the twists again. But I think the reason why the movie wasn't as good as it could have been was I think Nolan already had a plan for the trilogy. But since, mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, Heath Ledger tragically passed away, he had to completely mm-hmm. change what was going to happen in the next movie. And yep. I, don't, I don't blame him for that. Because um, Heath Ledger had such a big input in The Dark Knight. Like, if you watch all the interviews, it's always, oh, that was Heath Ledger's idea. Like, he wrote that scene. Like, the hospital scene, Heath Ledger wrote that. And I think even the Joker's characterization, if Heath Ledger, like, in some other life, if Heath Ledger didn't die, the sequel, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, would have been totally different, I think. Like, so different. It I would agree. have still been Joker, not Bane. There's a lot of pressure on Nolan as well. I mean, like, anyone in general who yeah. did a really great piece and you're just, you know, trying to stick to the impact that you created. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. 
okay, this wasn't intentional, I bet. But right, Avengers came out the same year as The Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like um, The Dark Knight paving the way for Marvel to take the lead now. Like, okay, The Dark Knight's over. Marvel's now going to be in the spotlight, which it did happen. I bet it was completely unintentional. That's kind of what happened. There, there was a shift from DC to Marvel in 2012. I'm not bashing, but like, I didn't really enjoy Marvel animated stuff before. And yeah. now it's like, balikan now. Like, DC was always good with animated movies. And then now, Marvel's really good with like, the live action stuff. Marvel is great with the movies, but everywhere else, DC dominates. Video games, comics, Dude, animated movies. Come on. Right? Yeah, I grew up DC, so I'm biased. Oh, like you were a DC junkie as a child. Yeah, I remember you bringing that yeah. up. All DC. Except Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Me too. Spider-Man's the one exception. Like, I, I love DC, to the but Spider-Man. Yeah, he's the most relatable yeah. superhero. That's why he's yeah. the... That's why he's universally loved. That's why Spider-Man's the most popular. Because he's the most relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can't really relate to Bruce Wayne because, dude, he's like a freaking billionaire. He has all these resources. But Peter Parker, he's freaking poor. That's why I, I relate to him. He's a poor kid. <laughs> he doesn't get the girl. And when he does get the girl, something bad happens to her. He dies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there. I, I, okay. bet, I bet Nolan would love to direct Spider-Man because Gwen Stacy died. So he's like, oh, another... Partner dying. I want to do that. Yeah, another death. Another, another woman to... dying. But yeah, I just want to say that till now, I still think I still think that Nolan's trilogy was like one of the best like ever for superhero stuff. Like I don't think it's like a full-on superhero movie like yeah. with all the you know, the CGI and everything like that yeah. and the special effects or something as magical as it you know, as it is, but, like, in terms of storytelling, like, he really captured that. Because, like, if people, you know, if you guys read the comics, they're not as whimsical or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's very real. Like, they tackle, they tackle a lot of, like, issues. And I think that's what I respect about him also because, like, Nolan managed to really put the light on social issues that are yeah. even relevant today. And I think that's really amazing. It's like talent. Yeah. It's like The Dark Knight. Actually, technically, it shouldn't even be considered a superhero movie. Cause yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't also consider it. Yeah. Technically, yeah, it is. Because Batman's quote-unquote a superhero. But yeah. if you didn't know it was from comics, you could just say he's a, a really high-tech vigilante. That's it. Nothing in the movie is paranormal. Like, nothing's... Yeah impossible in the Dark Knight. It could actually happen in the real world. And I think that's why um, people love it so much. Like, okay, they love Spider-Man for being uh, relatable, but he's, he has freaking superpowers. He's like um, uh, a science experiment gone wrong. But Batman is like, if you work hard enough and if you're rich enough, you could be Batman. Yeah. You could literally yeah. be Batman. There's a fun fact. I have one. Yeah. <laughs> in comic series, Batman Year One. Yeah. This is mo- this is a more playboy in a suave James Gordon, and he actually figured out that Bruce Wayne 
was Batman just because of what he said with the money. Yeah. Like, it was unintentional. Like, I think he was drunk in that part or something. Yeah. And then he was like, you know, what if it was Bruce Wayne who was Batman? And I was like, ha, lol, he got it. And that was really cool because, like, it was a really different James Gordon. So in year Batman, one. in Batman Year One, James Gordon just totally guessed Bruce Wayne as Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I need to read that. So he's really smart. Like, he's super smart. Yeah, Gordon's like one of the smartest cops. But, and in The Dark Knight Rises, he has like incredible memory because all, all Batman had to say was saving the world could be as simple as like putting a coat around a boy and telling him everything's gonna be okay. And then Gordon was like, Bruce Wayne? <laughs> Dude, th- that happened like 20 years ago, but you remember it? Or 30 years ago? Or 30. Yeah, he's like, I bet cops like comfort children all the time, but for some reason he remembers that specific instance when he made yeah. Bruce Wayne feel better as a child. So I think we covered everything because like if we if we kept talking about the Dark Knight and DC stuff, we'd be talking like all day. So like yeah, I think we covered <laughs> we covered enough Nolan for the day. Okay, for you, what is your favorite Nolan movie of all time? It's a tie between Dark Knight mm-hmm. and Batman Begins. Also, also both Batman movies. Yeah. So why those two? Why why not it, uh, the other movies? It's such a joy. And how old was I? Like below 10 from what I remember. Mm-hmm. And I think because I grew up just reading it, you know, the pages. And, you know, there was Spider-Man, which is super loved also. Like mm-hmm. Toby, Spider-Man forever. Yeah. But like, I think what's really magical about this was it's something more serious. It's not too whimsical, like the Adam West stuff, or yeah. or too weird, like Tim Burton stuff, or George Clooney. I don't want to mention that. But like, yeah, no one talks about Batman and Robin. No one. <laughs> yeah, but like this one is really good because I also love the transformation scenes. Uh huh. And I think makeovers. You know, I think that really attracts but, me to a movie. Also, Batman's makeover. <laughs> Yeah, when, like, dude, when he finally, training? yeah, in the training. Oh, oh shit! I'm inspired to like be a superhero now. I'm just thinking yeah, about the it. The training was so badass. Yeah. Promise. I was like, whoa, that was like, so cool. Like when he was training and to be a ninja, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You must get this flower, blah blah blah, and stuff. And I was like, okay. Oh, the blue flower, the fear toxin. <laughs> oh, that was so cool. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. That's what I love about Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Also, it's like there are multiple villains. But it's not forced. It's like they work yeah. together well. Like Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul, uh, mm. they work together well. And they're like, neither of them is the main villain. They're both the villains. Mm-hmm. And in The Dark Knight, okay, Joker's the main villain. But um, Scarecrow has a cameo. And mm-hmm. also Harvey Dent is also the villain towards the end. So it's yeah, like a good, a good balance. Stuff. It's a good balance. Yeah. Sorry, I would say like prestige, but like in terms of like all time, all time, all time, yeah. I'd always go back to Batman. Okay. Because the way he did it was so different from everyone else. It's gonna be so hard yeah. to ever top Nolan's Batman. It's true. it's true. Yeah. I think, okay, for me, my favorite's definitely The Dark Knight. But if I couldn't yeah. pick The Dark Knight, I'd choose Interstellar because of the feels and the score. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, it's the most like, artsy Nolan film. It's the most colorful. Yeah. Yeah. And also emotional at the same time. Galing no, the concept art for that. Of what? Interstellar? Brilliant. Yeah, like, like, 
I'm sure the concept artists, whoever did those, yeah, so imaginative. Dude, I want concept art books of all of Nolan's movies. If it's available, I want, I want, I want those. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I tried to buy the Dark Knight one in fully booked, but it was always out of stock. Every branch. I'm not surprised. Yeah. That would be a great like coffee table book, like Nolan uh, concept art book. All the directors. Yes, yes. I'd love to have all of those. So I think that wraps up our discussion on Nolan. Yeah, that was, that was kind of long, huh? Yeah. I, I'm going to have to edit a lot out because like, it gets choppy at times. Um, I'm yeah. sorry, but like, that's the way the Philippines is for our listeners who are like, not from here. The Wi-Fi is not always the best. We have the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, I'm excited for Tenet. Like, everyone else. I'm so scared Tenet's going to come out on Netflix instead of cinemas. And we're gonna oh, have to, we're gonna have to settle for God. it. That's gonna be so no. sad. Safety first, safety first. We don't want people yes, to get sick. If you guys want to contribute to the discussion, if you haven't already, because I'm so thankful a lot a lot of people commented on the Facebook post. I thought like I, it would get three comments max, but it got like fifty. Oh, I'm God. so I'm so happy. Like there are people, so many, right? People love Christopher I was Nolan. It. Dude, yeah, fifty comments. That's yeah. crazy. So if you want to share yeah. your, your favorite Nolan films with us, if you haven't already, just feel free to uh, comment on this post online or DM for real though. That's F-O-R-R-E-E-L-T-H-O. And sell if you want to plug your IG for anyone out there. That's all right. You don't want <laughs> okay. I'm sick of myself. <laughs> Cell wants to be like Loki, so I'm not going to plug her IG right here. So thank you so much for coming on to the show and maybe you can come on again, but like maybe you can join me and Jappy one time. Like if then it comes yeah. out, it'd be great to do like a review on that. I mean, if it comes out, you know, in the near future. Okay. So if you guys haven't seen the trailer for Tenet, you have to see it. It's so good for real though. <laughs>